It's a good show. Hey guys, this is Barry. Hey, I'm Lucas. Lucas, you're Lucas now. <laughs> we are Lucas the hosts Neff. of uh, Saving the World with Barry and Lucas. Uh-huh. Um, we want to just, as usual, it's remind everybody: uh, if you haven't yet, rate, review, subscribe. We love you, and we hope rate, you love review, us. Review and subscribe. And if in previous episodes, if you listen to previous episodes, and we don't mention that, just Imagine that we are saying mm-hmm. it. Go back and just listen to it as if that's informing the whole All conversation. Just constantly be thinking, I got to um, rate, I got to review, I got to subscribe. Because we could say I love you to our listeners, which we do a lot. We um, say it all the time. And there's I only think. one way for you to say you love us. Well, there's probably two. You could literally say it and you know email us, but uh, you could uh, you could just review and rate and follow us at Insta- uh, our Instagram, Saving the World Podcast. Yeah. Um, so today we have uh, an. Un unbelievable off the chains off the off, off the, the off the off the L off the L off the hook off the hook conversation um with uh Ariel Derringer Deranger Deranger is that how you say it? I'm not sure. Uh I think it's Derringer and um <laughs> she is Canada she's the executive director of Canada's only indigenous led climate justice organization called the Indigenous Climate Action. Mm-hmm. Um she is, I'm warning everyone, she's Canadian. She's not American, but she speaks just like us. Uh-huh. Um, she is, uh, she is, is fiercely anti-cap-and-trade, and we saw an incredible debate between her and Peter Miller, who is the head of the NRDC, the NRDC, Defense Council. and um, it's an incredible debate you if you want to check on, it out. On, uh, we reference it a few times. Now. On Democracy Now, it's about cap and trade. Um, She's a member of the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation. Correct. Um, um, we get into all types of stuff uh, about the indigenous people in Canada, why climate change is a human rights issue. Yeah, um, uh, maybe you want to know what a carbon sink is. I didn't know what a carbon sink is. I found out they're pretty amazing. I thought it was a sink you buy made of carbon. Yeah, I thought it was a sink that you washed carbon in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's I not to, that. I had to get, I got, I got schooled on that. Uh, there's a would you rather that I entirely missed, uh, which I'm really bummed about. But oh, I think it was really maybe one would of the best rather. would you rathers we've ever done. Nah, gotten. it was okay. Nah. But, you know, there's a lot of great stuff besides the would you rather. Yeah, we talk about, uh, we talk about the realities of climate justice how it's affecting indigenous, how indigenous communities are at the forefront, forefront of the climate yeah. war, essentially. What are tar sands? What are tar sands, and where are they, yeah. and how do we stop them? It's not Tarzan, it's tar sands. Hey, and uh, you'll learn why you should never go swimming in a tailings pond. Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, All right. That. Uh, stay tuned. It's going to be great. Okay, let's get high. We're going to smoke some weed. Saving the world. With Barry Rothbart and Lucas Neff. Nothing from nothing, leave nothing. You gotta have something if you wanna be with me. Nothing from nothing, leave nothing. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Hey, Ariel. Um, hey. Um, first of all, which, which we always do this, um, if Greg Barris is a mutual person that helped us find you, we like to give him a shout out. Uh, really quickly sure. do you yeah, know greg is, is there anything you'd like to say to greg um thanks for thanks for the the hookup i'm really excited to be on the show and it's really nice that people think that i'm worth being on a show <laughs> i don't know oh, you absolutely are <laughs> you're totally worth it um, don't, don't undersell yourself he here. likes when we compliment him too yeah. i think i think he's a very smart uh cool he, guy greg has some of the best hair i've ever seen on a human being <laughs> 
Um, Greg, I would Greg like is to, great. Yeah Greg, yeah, Greg Harris, the hair, you know. Um, but uh, I have a question for you, Ariel, if we can just sort of leap right into it. Um, uh, you know, I saw your, your sort of uh, roundtable on Democracy Now! Um, mm-hmm. about cap-and-trade. And, trade. and uh, we're here in California, which is sort of like the, the biggest cap-and-trade state in the union. And I know that uh, you and, and uh, Indigenous Climate Action is your organization, yes? Yes. Um, have sort of a, a very specific sort of um, response to cap-and-trade. Could you get into that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest things is that there's a lot of a lot of people globally searching for solutions to the climate crisis. And one of the emerging solutions that's really being promoted heavily by governments and corporations is this cap and trade model, which is to, you know, quantify how much emissions are being created at the state level and then trying to find ways to offset them, which is what are we doing to allow us to continue to create those emissions, but create other carbon sinks or sequestering um, projects. And it it creates this illusion that they're doing something to reduce their emissions. But in many cases, the reduction in emissions is either null or very, very little. Um, And we're not doing much to actually address the systemic issues around how these projects, uh, the, the greenhouse gas emitting projects are contributing to the degradation of communities, lives, and environment, environments right. and ecosystems critical to the planet. So the, these are false solutions. We, okay. we call them false solutions because they don't actually address the problem. So what, yeah, what it, essentially my understanding of cap and trade is the, the government basically says, hey, if you want to go over the amount of emissions that we're stating is the, the limit, then you have to pay a certain amount of money and that yeah. and that commodity that like a stock can be traded right yes so it's 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 commodifying you know carbon um and at, and the atmosphere it's commodifying right. the air so now we're looking at like you know pulling out the components of the atmosphere calculating how much we're allowed to put into the atmosphere and if you want to go over that then you have to pay a penalty or a fee now um is that but m- money uh, where does that money go that's that's paid yeah i mean yeah you know every state sort of has their own policies and procedures for for where that money goes to generally speaking though it usually goes into an investment fund for you know transition sustainable economy development right. um that can be accessed uh, sometimes through you know proposals to to those state level uh, governments or it goes towards state initiatives for reduction in emissions in other areas but it doesn't necessarily um, have a direct impact on carbon immediately no well no that's 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 exactly the point these things don't have an immediate impact on reducing emissions. And in many cases, they actually further marginalize, um, you know, uh, frontline communities that are on the front lines of these <clears throat> high intensity projects or on the front lines of climate change. So it doesn't actually address the, the sort of direct human rights elements that are being um, impacted by these projects. And, and then the last piece is that it also is putting up land because in the cap and trade system, there's now these sort of forest offset programs where governments are like, oh, look at this rich biodiversity. We'll just buy it, not governments, but governments and corporations will be like, we'll just buy it and have license to this and we'll plant a few more trees and increase the carbon sequestration and then we'll say it's an offset. Um, But a lot of these lands are already in contention by Indigenous people that have 
uh, claims to those lands for sacred as sacred sites. It's critically uh, cultural, critically and culturally important to the the communities, and those are now sort of being up for sale. So it's now a new um, land grab system that further marginalizes people from their ability to have sovereignty and control over their lands and territories. I'd like to talk yeah. a little bit more about that. I just have a, a quick. Uh question because uh, some of the some of the phrases that came up in, in the round table and then today also uh, left out of me and I was wondering if you could explain them or contextualize them for me um, there you said carbon sink and then there's this phrase that keeps coming back carbon sequ sequestration mm -hmm. and I was wondering if you could sort of dive a little bit more into those terms and, and sort of explain their explain what they mean a bit yeah, we know so, what they mean. Yes, obviously. <laughs> I've known what yeah. for our sequestration audience. is for yeah. years. So, you know, so carbon sinks are generally already established ecosystems that um, that usually encompass rich biodiversity that have been intact for, you know, millennia that actively are, are taking the carbon out of the atmosphere and turning it into oxygen. And so it is sequestering, so pulling out, drawing out the carbon in the atmosphere and releasing, you know, rich and vital oxygen into the atmosphere. So it helps to stabilize the the carbon in the atmosphere in a way that's absolutely necessary for global atmospheric stabilization. Oh, those are good places. You know that. Yeah. Okay, cool. So carbon sinks That's how simple we have to make it here. Uh -huh. yeah. Good. So carbon those, sinks are good. super, super important to the planet. And these are biodiversity. So these are Do you like have an example Amazon of one of these? Rainforest. Yeah. yeah, Amazon rainforest, Canada's boreal forest, or the world's boreal forest, which encompasses the northern hemisphere. Um, you know, any area where we see uh, intact um, forests and biodiversity. And so, you know, it, it isn't just trees, though. So Canada's boreal forest is, while it is trees, the, the carbon sink is actually in the soil. So a lot of our soil is rich, is a rich carbon sink. It sequesters and pulls out the carbon in the atmosphere. So it's not always like these big giant forests like the Amazon, but it can be other sort of rich biodiverse regions that are being right now um, destroyed for for the development of, of fossil fuels. Hey, Ariel, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, great point. Uh, there's a little bit of noise, background noise we're getting from your end. It's like a clicking or like a, like a moving or a rustling. Have, it might have just been me because I pulled, I was reaching for my bottle of water. I will try oh, not that's, to do that's that again. Unbelievable. <laughs> no, you can reach for your bottle of water. That's I think okay. just, ha well, let's have a word every time you do it. We'll say yeah. water time. Water time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, did, did I interrupt a question from you, Barry? I was just going to say, you know, I, I feel like I have so much stuff uh, that I want to ask, but um, maybe just give us a little background on the Indigenous Climate Action and your involvement in it. I do know it is, uh, it's the only Indigenous um, climate justice organization in Canada, correct? Yeah, so it's the only Indigenous-led one. So there indigenous are led. climate justice organizations, um, and there are other Indigenous groups um, working on various different things. But this is the only organization that's Indigenous-led and solely devoted to climate justice issues. Okay, well, can you explain a little bit why it's so why climate justice is so important to Indigenous communities or the Indigenous communities you're involved with? 
Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the big things that I, we get asked this a lot is, like, well, what, why are you doing this work? And the reason we're doing this work is that Indigenous peoples are some of the first and foremost to feel the impacts of climate change, uh, but we're often the least to contribute to climate change. Many of our communities live in rural areas. We have lived and, and modeled low-carbon lifestyles for, for generations, and we are the, but yet we are the first to feel the impacts of climate change through, you know, changing weather patterns, which change and impact uh, migratory patterns of species that are used for subsistence, so food and clothing, um, and as well as, you know, just berry picking medicines, subsistence lifestyles, being able to live off of the land is being drastically changed by climate. And so... In addition to that, it's not just that we're being impacted, but a lot of the policies, a lot of the solutions that are arising in Canada and globally are being created in isolation of, of these very communities that are modeling low-carbon lifestyles, as well as being impacted very deeply um, by, these, by, the, by the impacts of climate change. So what we're trying to do is not just highlight that, but also to draw out what are Indigenous-led climate solutions and what do those look like and, and how do we integrate them on a more broad level and how do we ensure that Indigenous peoples are part of building the solutions, the policies, the implementation of those policies to ensure that we aren't just trying to stabilize the carbon in the atmosphere, but that we're trying to ensure that we're, we're achieving justice and equity as a part of climate um, change at work, you know, addressing the crisis. Because this, this isn't just about the climate. This is a human rights crisis as well. Yeah. And people don't frame it as that usually. No, you know? they don't. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I was reading an article yesterday that um, nothing's going to be done in, about climate change unless a, a hell of a lot of white people die. And mm. that, that, that's been something that's been pretty true. I mean, I spoke on a panel in Paris in 2015 with a young woman from Bangladesh, and she started her presentation with, if we're going to talk about climate change, we need to talk about the bodies. And she was flashing pictures of massive floods and um, of all of these, of drought, and in all these places where we have people of color that are already dying because of climate-related incidences, you know, massive storms, uh, drought, uh, food shortages, so on and so forth. And no one, it seems to be taking it seriously. They're, they talk about climate change as if it's something that's going to happen. It's already happening to mm -hmm. millions of people across the world. And in Canada and in North America and the United States, we're already seeing it affect Indigenous communities because they live land-based lifestyles that are connected to the land. And so as the land is shifting and changing, our ability to uh, rely on, you know, millennia of knowledge systems on how to live off the land is changing. And yet we're forced into these systems, you know, the reservation systems in the U.S., the reserve systems in Canada have, have really sort of imprisoned us into these tiny little areas and our rights can't go beyond that. So now we're stuck in these little spots where our, our ability to practice our rights is disappearing and we're told, well, that's just the way it is. Um, if I could leap in here, uh, do, do you foresee a world or a future where the, there's a chance for uh, solutions within the system as it stands? Or is, is this, uh, by necessity, going to have to be sort of an external uh, grassroots uh, change from outside that eventually gets adopted by the institutions? I think the biggest challenge is, is that systems of colonization uh, and imposed capitalism and patri patriarchy 
have really led us to the to this climate crisis. I mean, all of these systems are predicated on this idea of man's dominion over nature. And it's very divergent from Indigenous cosmology, which is surrounded and, and built upon man's interconnectedness with Mother Earth and, and with the sacredness of the cycles of this planet. And so as we have diverged away and we we devalued those indigenous cosmologies and value systems and we then we demonized them and now we have this huge revolution of technology and industrial development that is predicated on this ideology that we're not like the the earth was created for man and we should just use it that, that that's the biggest problem is that when we talk about how do we create these systems and create systems of justice for people and the planet, it's difficult to talk about whether or not that's going to be achievable within the confines of colonial systems that don't have those values at its root and at its core. And so I don't know. I don't know if we can do that. I mean, just like civil... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, please go ahead. I mean, like the civil rights movement... It didn't like there. There was, you know, white supremacy is entrenched also within colonial uh, systems as well. And the civil rights movement didn't happen because you know someone had an epiphany and said, "Oh, we should we should do this." It, it took the lunch counter sit-ins. It took you know riots in the street and hundreds and thousands of people getting arrested and people being murdered. And it, it was not an easy thing. And we tend to just sort of think that the right person in power is going to change things, but it's actually the people, the people in the streets, the grassroots, the citizens of the country that are the people that bring about the change that we need. Hey listeners. So me undies has, uh, has basically changed my life. Would yeah. you say it changed your I life? I mean, it's definitely changed, um, my, how comfortable I feel. It's saving underwear. my world. I'm going to, I'm going to go that saving far. your world. Yeah. I mean, it's made my world a lot softer. I, when I heard about me undies, I was like, why, why do we need underwear sent to us? What's the point? And then I tried one and I was like, it feels Whoa. different than any pair of underwear I've, uh, I've ever worn. It's uh, literally yeah, it's, the most comfortable. It's like this crazy thing. They got this micro modal, micro modal fabric, uh, which is, it's like three times softer than regular cotton. It's That's right. Insane. Uh, there's it, a little it's the pouch. softest thing I've ever worn. Talk about the pouch. The pouch? Yeah. I would love to talk about the pouch. Oh, the front pouch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's soft. Soft, right? It, yeah, everything it, feels great. It gives you the support you need. Uh, they release multiple fun prints each month. It's They have matching socks. Uh, they have bralettes. That's, that's right, for the special lady in your life. There's also 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. You don't get that a lot. No, I mean, you know, I I promise you that you're going to love this underwear because I can't imagine anyone not loving it. But if you don't, you can just send it back, get your money back. That's right. And MeUndies just launched a brand new membership. You can level up your top drawer with new undies each month. That's, that's right. That's 12 new pairs of undies every month. I go through at least month. one pair a month. A day I sometimes. At least one. Okay, <laughs> members gain access to exclusive prints that no one else can get. They get special member pricing on every product MeUndies makes. And you could switch styles or skip any month you want. So and uh, it's loose. Yeah, MeUndies has a great offer right now for you guys. Uh, for any first-time purchasers, when you purchase any MeUndies, you're going to get 15% off uh, and free shipping. Yeah, it's kind of one of those no-duh, no-brainer things, you know? You're going to get 15% off a pair of the most comfortable undies you will ever 
ever put on. Okay, and uh, to get your 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash Save the world. That's meundies.com slash S A V E T H E W O R L D. I'm I'm so impressed at your spelling every time. Um and so the uh, the indigenous climate action. So um what what currently um uh, are you guys doing and maybe explain some of the actions that you guys are taking. So w- the big thing that we're doing right now is we're we're trying to look inward. Um, A lot of our people, because of colonization, have really felt disempowered. And they don't see those connections to why our our knowledge, why our culture is a valuable um, tool in addressing the climate crisis. So one, the first thing we're doing is we're working on developing tools and resources for Indigenous communities to help empower them to step up into those positions of power and and take over those those places of decision-making or or step into decision-making roles. Um, Secondarily to that, we're also looking at amplifying and supporting Indigenous-led climate solutions. And that is supporting direct action, um, so supporting projects like the Tiny House Warriors, which is uh, from the Sequetmuk territory. Uh, This nation is trying to build tiny houses in the pathways of proposed tar sands pipelines. We've been supporting the uh, Trans Mountain uh, pipeline protests, as well as the legal cases and amplifying the voices from those communities. Line 3 pipeline protests. We've supported folks that are involved with, um, you know, challenging massive mega hydro like Site C Dam. Um, toxic mine dumping in eastern Canada with uh, Alton Gas. Um, But on on the positive side, we're not just supporting like challenging the bad. We're also looking at promoting the good. And there are so many amazing projects that are reconnecting our communities back to our culture and our languages through getting our people back on the land, doing language revitalization, which allows people to be better stewards, to maintain those connections so that they're ready to protect our lands and territories and that they're connected to those things. So just as much as like protests, culture is, is, a, is a big thing, but maintaining our culture and our deep-rooted connection to the sacredness of Mother Earth is just as vital as, uh, as putting up a solar panel or, or stopping an industrial project. Do you find, um, because I was thinking... Well, uh, you know what you're talking about how difficult it is to change colonial systems and i was thinking that so and the civil rights movement i was thinking so many of uh the various like moments of sort of like peak cultural change uh or or shifting uh have been brought about by sort of generational movements mm-hmm. you know, like a, a sort of new generation steps in and because they're sort of they've been educated in a different context and grown up in a different context they're more open to different ways of existing uh, right, like when the iPhone first came out. Yeah, people were like, "I don't want to touch my phone screen that much. That's crazy. I've never touched the phone this much." Yeah, and then people were like, "Actually, that's how we all going to use phones from it's now amazing. on." Amazing. Um, but I mean, within within uh, the indigenous communities, are are there generational divides? Are there generational movements, or is there more of a cross generational consensus, like in terms I of think, these sort of issues? I think that it is definitely generationally led. Um, you know. I, I feel that the younger generation, um, maybe not super young, but like my generation, people sort of for, between the ages of 20 and 40 are really driving this. And we are people that have been forced to walk in two worlds. 
So I always call myself a half a generation removed from the land. So my family um, lived in in our traditional trap line until the year that I was born. And in your traditional my, what? Sorry. Traditional territory. So oh. we had a traditional trap line um, where my family trapped and hunted. Um, and we had sort of permits for trapping. And so my family lived on our trap line in our traditional territory. And we were forcibly removed the year I was like two months before I was born. Um, my older sister was born out there, raised out there for two years. And then we were forcibly removed because they, someone, a mining company, Eldorado Mining Company, got the signature of one of my uncles uh, to, to grant them the rights to our trap line. Mm. And we were forcibly removed by armed security from this company that we no longer had the rights to live there. It's crazy because they wanted one signature from one person. Exactly. Have that kind of <laughs> ramifications for an entire uh, group. I, I mean, that that's exactly it. Like uh, it was a family group, but it, one signature because it just needed to be a male head of the family, which is very difficult to contest that. Um, and then we were we were basically kicked off our land. But we also we also spent a lot of time, like as a young person, we returned to areas that we were allowed to still go to. So places in northern Saskatchewan, and I spent time living on the land, like hauling water from the lake, cooking over a fire, living in a tent. And I am also a person that lived in an urban setting and went to regular school and regular, you know, post-secondary. And so I have a perspective that's very different. I understand and know how to navigate through a colonial um, society, but I also understand and know how to navigate through Indigenous cosmology and values. And so we have these this generation of people that have also been taught that we shouldn't be ashamed of our culture. We shouldn't be ashamed of who we are and who we are is valuable and important. Um, but you need to know how to navigate the white man's world. And it's us that are pushing back and realizing that it's not just about knowing how to navigate the white man's world. The white, white people need to understand that our value systems, our cosmologies, our governance and the way that we have worked is just as valuable as the systems that they imposed on us. And that we have to find a way to integrate in a respectful and equitable way, the different value systems that exist in this country. And we can no longer devalue those systems that existed in this continent for millennia before colonization. I think what's interesting too is what you said earlier is that the the idea of living off the land and embracing nature and these these lessons are things that we're trying to do more to combat a lot of the climate action stuff. And that's something we we can look towards indigenous people for as a valuable resource absolutely i mean you know we i did this presentation last night i'm, I'm at currently at the university of illinois in urbana and uh, i did a whole workshop beautiful last night. this time of year right? <laughs> it's so nice it's very surprising because it's snowing in alberta and it's like very warm here um but i did this presentation on looking at the history of environmentalism and white supremacy and it's so strange to look at how you look at pre-colonization, colon, like the, you know, the colonizers were like indigenous peoples viewed themselves as one with Mother Earth, as if it's some romanticized thing that just no longer exists. And that environmentalism was born out of like folks like 
Thoreau and Powell and Teddy Roosevelt, they're the founders of, of environmentalism where they had the epiphanies like 400 years post-colonization that, oh, you know what? We are one with nature. Yeah. And it was when a white person said it that it was uh -huh. suddenly valuable. And so like this is where, where we're sort of almost like coming full circle. They're, they're like, we're going to devalue and demonize this like weird, um, you know, he's a hedonistic, um, culture of these people that aren't really humans. But then, you know, <laughs> it's now 2018 and people are like, oh, indigenous cosmology and value systems are critical for us reconciling our relationship with the earth so yeah, that we can like achieve climate. Yeah, it's yeah. like climate stabilization. We need to do that. Um, but it's tokenistic. We're still not being allowed to be leaders in what that looks like we're tokenized we are we're held up and romanticized as these pinnacles of people we should look to for advice but not actually allow us to be in positions of um self-determination um and and decision making processes at the same level as uh white society wow um yeah i, I think uh breaking through these sort of like uh invented uh racial and tribal paradigms is probably essential to sort of making any kind of impactful difference on the on the climate crisis um if it's all right i'd love to leap in with a segment <laughs> yeah go okay, ahead so we have some segments wow here. The, lucas is getting way better at these segues i gotta say <laughs> you really you know, i've been doing this for about a year and i think my segue skills have definitely improved so Ariel, we do uh, we do some fun segments in between um, our conversations, and this we we try to involve our guests as much as possible. Yeah, we so love this them. one. Um, feel free to leap in, be a part of this. You're, uh, you're going to be invited one. openly to participate um, right now, um, okay. and you could stand to win half a point, um, okay. which I know is first super part exciting. Question, the first yeah. part of this, all you have to tell me is what day is today. It is October 2nd. Yeah. Wow. Nice. What day of the week? It's October. Huh? It's Tuesday. Tuesday. Whoa. October Very good. 2nd. And that leads us to on this day. I didn't know what day it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that. see? <laughs> All right. I mean, honestly, there's no real. It's either yeah. I'm working or I'm not working. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's how the days go. Not work working. day, not work day. Yeah. Um, so on this day. Is a fun little is a fun little segment where we like to dive into something nice that happened on this day in history. Uh, today okay. being October second, uh, not the day that uh, anyone is listening to this. It will mm -hmm. no longer be oh, October second. Yeah, it will no longer be October second when uh, when you listen to this, listeners. But right now, as we're talking, twenty eighteen, twenty eighteen. You you know, October if someone 2nd. finds this in in our post apocalyptic future, mm -hmm. and they're well, like, I'm sure there'll be like a bunker just full of all the podcasts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll put all the podcasts in one bunker that people can go visit. Um, <laughs> on October 2nd in 1960, I'm going to give a little bit of hint here to help you. You can stand to win another half a point, oh. Ariel. I know you want to okay. complete that point. Um, this has to do with the Supreme Court. Something happened. The Supreme Court's been in the news a lot recently. So of I the United this States. Sort of, yeah. The Supreme Court of the United States. The United States Supreme Court. Uh, on, in 1967, on October 2nd, Something was done for the first time with the United okay. States Supreme Court. What year? In, 1967. In 1967? Okay. Um, I think I know this. Uh, Normally you just yell what you know. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to be more polite. 
I, I, is it is it bad that I cheated and and I googled it? You googled it? <laughs> oh, why did you tell us? Here's what I'm gonna say. Yes, it's bad, but it's not against the rules. I've never okay. said that it, you it couldn't the, cheat. There's sometimes the... bad things are within the rules, mm-hmm. as we know Thorough, with cap and trade, like Thurgood chaining Marshall... yourself to a tree. Thurgood Marshall was sworn in as the first African-American justice on the U.S. Supreme Court. Yes. Oh, yes, that's was. not what I was going to say. Uh, were you going to say he was sworn in as the second? I'm not going to say October anything. October 2nd? No, he was sworn <laughs> in as the first. Uh, Thurgood Marshall. Wow. An incredible person, an incredible life. Uh, and he uh, defended, uh, he, he, or he, he tried several cases in front of the Supreme Court for years as a lawyer an attorney, uh, and was involved in a lot of racial justice issues. He uh, mm-hmm. worked with the N- uh, for and with the NAACP, and he was just overall uh, an incredible person. Pretty good guy. Yeah, good guy. He was replaced by Clarence Thomas, who is uh, just scum, I think, <laughs> personally. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, Thurgood Marshall was sworn in today, October 2nd in 1967, as the first African-American Supreme Court justice, which is an incredible uh, step forward. It's a shame there's no more Thurgoods out there. I think there'll be certain names go away. I think there is. What's Thur better than a Thurgood? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The name Thurgood. I know there's other Thurgood Marshals as far as, you know, people who are... uh, Just out there? Just great, like Thurgood (laughs) Marshall. (laughs) There's a lot of great Thurgood Marshals. This is just one of them. Um, But uh, but there is not not a lot of Thurgoods on this day. On this day. Hey, you you took part of it. You're going to have to live with the fact that you cheated. But if you can live with that, then just enjoy that point. You can give back half the point if you don't feel good about I'll, it. You I'll, can. I, I or you can give it to a person, of your, a person She's of rescinding it. you're choosing. I'm just rescinding, rescinding it. it. I, said, I cheated. Would you like one you of us You know what? That's the right move. It? And I'm giving you a half a point for making the right move. This is a clean so half a point. <laughs> now this is a clean one point. You laundered this point. This is a guilt-free. This is a guilt-free half point you're giving Money in the in the Cayman Islands. So congrats, you're up to a point. Congrats. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, I I was sort of curious. How did you Sort of curious. Yeah, I was sort of curious. I'll let you know when I'm completely <laughs> curious. Um how did you become involved in 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 indigenous climate justice? Like what was the path for you? Oh, um you know, I I think I just came by it honestly. My my parents were activists. My parents were a part of the American Indian movement. Um, The sort of forced removal out of our traditional territory really sort of was a pinnacle point for my parents becoming very active in challenging extractive industries in not just our traditional territory, but also with supporting other indigenous peoples in those battles. I, I grew up in the protests in the Black Hills in South Dakota, where my mom has family. I grew up uh, challenging and, and attending protests. Like, I, I make these jokes that <laughs> that I my arts and crafts growing up was making uh, placard signs and coming up with protest chants. Wow. So, cool. yeah. So, I think that I, I came by it honestly in that respect. But my siblings aren't like me, so I don't, you know, I think it just... It was a choice that I made after some of my own experiences as as an adult. I think the biggest one was having a moment in my early 20s and recognizing that most of the world did not respect this ideology of interconnectedness and that like plants and trees and um, I don't remember exactly. I just remember being like, I am so different than my peers. Mm. 
I am not like these people and they're so disconnected. And that, so that was a moment and it didn't trigger then, but I was doing work for an organization called the Federation of Saskatchewan Indian Nations. And I was a archival and oral history researcher. So I interviewed really old people and I reviewed documents in the National Library of Canada. And they were all like from the Minister of Interior and Indian Affairs officers and Native folks in in their communities. Um, And I had what I was researching were breaches or basically when treaty was being broken by the government, some First Nations would make a complaint in modern day, like 2001, and they'd say, our treaty was broken in like 1921. And we want the government to, you know, give us either that land back or pay us for the losses that we had or whatever it was. And so my job was to prove their claim was right. And so I would do all the research on that. And what I found and what I learned is that the history of Canada is predicated on so much white supremacy and racism and um, attempted genocide of Indigenous peoples that is not common knowledge no. for, for for Canadians or, you know, white Canadians or Indigenous Canadians. And I started to recognize why so many of our communities feel so disempowered and felt so ashamed of who they were because that history was erased. And I was so angry. And then I was matched with like feeling like people didn't understand where I was coming from. I was like, I was like, this is really effed up. Like, I, I don't want to be a part of this system anymore. And people need to know this, like this history needs to be known. Um, and I just kind of decided that that's what I wanted to do after that. And a lot of the, the, the land claims that are being proposed by First Nations, so claims of breaches of treaty are surrounding the degradation, contamination, or the, the appropriation or stealing of Indigenous lands and territories for extractive projects. And so I naturally just started moving towards environmental justice and climate justice by default. Um, and, and here I am, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people realize how much it's still happening. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I, I don't know too much about Canadian politics, I'll be honest. But um, I know that Trudeau, um, there, there's been, we talked about this on this podcast, right, Lucas? Mm-hmm. That there's, there's massive oil fields currently that are being, um, uh, I, maybe you could explain a little more if you know about this, but that are being uh, put on First Nation land in Canada currently. Like the tar right? sands? The tar sands, correct? Yeah. Um, is that is my... that still happening? <laughs> oh my God, it is still happening yeah. in like a very real way. So my community is I'm from a community called Athabasca Chippewan First Nation. And we're downstream from the Alberta tar sands. Um, this project is is massive. It's yeah, not maybe one company. To our listeners if yeah, they don't it's know it's what that not. Is. So the tar sands is not your sweet conventional crude oil. It's not like pump jacks and and you know whatever comes along with regular oil because I don't even really know. <laughs> but um, tar sands is this uh, mixture of clay and sand and dirt and other minerals mixed with oil in the ground. So you can't just like pump jack it out. Mm-hmm. You got to dig it out or you've got to um, melt it in place. So through a process called in situ. So in place, they'll like super, super heat and then heat water and inject it into the ground at high pressure to melt this 
oil that's mixed with sand and then like oh. suck it up through another series of pipelines or they just do open cast mining so like you know like the way they do coal mining just dig a big hole get the the dirt mixed with the the oil and then take that dirt mixed with oil and then they take it to a refinement process where they mix it with water fresh water fresh potable water otherwise fresh potable water i should say and they mix it with fresh water and solvents um to similar then, to fracking yeah so they they superheat this water and solvent mixture and then they spin it so they use centrifugal force to then pull the oil out of the soil um and then even then it's it's so thick still that they have to further dilute it and mix it with um a, a solvent a diluent that so that it can be viscous enough so it, it can flow basically through pipelines to then be refined an additional two times until it becomes a synthetic crude oil. Wow. So it uses a ton of fresh water. It uses natural gas to heat these these sort of cauldrons of, of uh, water to, wow. to superheat and extract the oil from the sand. Um, and it produces massive amounts of toxic uh, byproduct. It, pet coke mounds are being stacked in in massive quantities in northern Alberta. We have sulfur pyramids that are now like three three city blocks long and and five stories high. We're creating so much sulfur, but it's a lower grade sulfur that we can't even refine it and sell it to market. And we're still like it's, it's just crazy. It's madness. And then the toxic runoff of the water that they use ends up in these things called toxic tailings ponds. Yeah, just <laughs> and, and these tailings ponds now cover 260 square kilometers of wow. land. I don't know how to speak American. I don't know what that is in miles. Um, but they now cover this massive amount of land. Miles. No, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what it is. Sure. But, and, and so these tailings ponds are filled with like a cocktail of toxic substances and carcinogens 70, that are 77.2 square miles 77.2 wow. square miles of, th th those aren't those aren't ponds i mean they create an innocuous name like like tailings ponds and therefore oh it's just little but you it's know, like an ocean yeah it's it's, it's massive a, it's a massive of of industrial runoff right from uh, yes from yes pulling this oil from the ground and, and that water is so toxic that when animals, migratory birds or other animals in these areas, because these, these things are not fenced off, they're not like blocked from wildlife and wildlife often finds themselves into these tailings ponds and uh, they die. They, yeah, a few years they, ago, like 1600 ducks flew into one yes. of these ponds or something and it sort of made headlines yep. briefly uh, because yep. there were all these photos of severely distressed and saturated ducks. They all died. Sixteen hundred and six. Yeah. Sixteen. All every single duck that landed in that pond died. Sixteen hundred and six because it's so toxic. Just landing on it means death. Is there a so, fight uh, to uh, what? What currently is the fight against this? Is there? Is there any? Oh, yeah, I mean, some of the, the pipeline struggles that have been in the media in Canada against the, the Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline, which is now owned by the Canadian government. So it's the Trudeau Trans Mountain Pipeline, which is a tar sands pipeline, is part of the struggle. Currently, right now, you ask about whether it's still going on. Absolutely. Right now, this week, it was the start of hearings for the largest ever proposed tar sands mine being proposed by tech resources 
and it's called the Tech Frontier Mine, appropriate name. Um, that mine is is a, called a super mine. And so we're talking about proposing a super tar sands open pit mine with associated tailings ponds in 2018 in a time where we're supposed to be reducing emissions. This project will create four megatons of emissions annually, use massive amounts of water, create wow. massive amounts of toxic tailings, and to boot, it's 17 kilometers from the boundary of an indigenous settlement, the Poplar Point Settlement, and 34 kilometers from the boundary of a UNESCO World Heritage Site, the Wood Buffalo National Park. Right, and so and Trudeau's is... in favor of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the government is, I mean, they won't say they are because they're like, we're waiting for the review committee the to give their review, recommendations. Yeah, sure. And just so, so you, the listeners all know, there are over 5,200 different licenses given out to corporations in Alberta for tar sands. In the history of tar sands um, application proposals, only one application has ever been denied. And I bet it was eventually approved. <laughs> no, I mean, you know why it was denied? Because it was a First Nation that proposed it. Oh, my Unbelievable. God. <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, that That's a... a, a, a sh ugh, that's a... You okay? Tragic thing to turn into a segue. Is, is, uh... I know. I just, I, it's a, I mean, it's just, there's so many dark elements to this conversation, but it's a conversation that I feel just, ha it has to be had. We can't just have, you know, like it, ha we have to sort of confront uh, the basic uh, ubiquitous uh, tragedy that is ongoing with our environment. But at the same time, we do need to do a lightning round. Oh, is it round? time? Oh, wow. Yeah. Lightning, lightning round. <laughs> Okay, I won't cheat. I won't. Uh, cheat. So this one, this one you cannot cheat. cheat. Yeah, it's, it's um, designed to to stymie all. This cheating. is designed for one purpose and one purpose only. Oh, two purposes. Two purposes. One, one purpose to get to know you, because uh, <laughs> this is all about you now, Ariel. Okay. The all second right. purpose is to get you some points. Yeah. Um, right. Because I mean, uh, you're only at one point now. Speaking um, of dirty, toxic points, you only have clean ones, <laughs> and we like I to know. keep it that way. You have one <laughs> squeaky clean point. Um, environmentally sustainable point. So this is again to learn about you. We only ask honesty, and then there's some rules. Um, there are some okay. rules. We one of them is that you need to be honest. Okay, so there's two rounds. First round, mm -hmm. they're both exactly the same. So essentially, in each round, you're gonna, I'm gonna ask, or we're gonna ask five questions mm -hmm. of you, and you have to answer. You have to wait till all five are asked, and then you could start answering all five. If you okay. get them all, you get one point, and you're honest, you get one point. Mm -hmm. If okay. if you, you can do them in any order. But if you need any assistance, which we will give you, you do not get that point. You'll, you'll have 30 <laughs> seconds to so it's answer. It's a bit of a memory game, but it's also, you know, all we ask is honesty. Mm -hmm. And that you answer and all that the you questions. Answer all five. <laughs> um, which we will ask rapid fire okay. at the beginning of the game. So uh, it's time for... Uh, lightning round. Lightning round. Lightning round. Okay, here we go, Ariel. Okay, okay. Round one. One. Question one. What is the biggest misconception people have about indigenous peoples in Canada? And what's the biggest misconception indigenous people have about others, too? You're excellent at debating. How angry do you think someone should get in an effective debate? Three, <laughs> North Pole or South Pole? You can only choose one. Be honest. Four, what currently, what, uh, <laughs> what is currently the oldest or most spoiled item in your home refrigerator? Be honest. Five, <laughs> why? Ah, just just why okay just why? uh first question okay 
common misconception um, that we are all the same, that we all come from like teepee feather communities, and that's just not correct. Uh, we're all very different. Mm -hmm. uh, the misconception that Native folks have about white people is that all white people think really low of us, that, that there's a lot of misconception that all white people think badly of Native folks. Oh, okay. Um, uh, second question is, in a debate, how angry should you get? In an effective I, I, debate. In an effective debate, not very angry. I think the best way to win a debate is to... Uh, am I allowed to swear? Can oh, I yeah. Swear? Oh, my yeah. God. Like a sailor who swears a lot. I, I have like been like trying to... Like, sailor. Keep, I have been trying to keep myself... Uh, clean, which is very rare for me. Um, I like to shit sandwich it. Whoa, so. not the Whoa. shit word. We're not allowed to say that. That's no, the one and yeah, sandwich. Yeah, We're not allowed to talk about sandwiches. <laughs> so I shit sandwich in a debate. So it's always like, I agree with what you're saying to a degree. I mean, what you're saying is, is you know, whatever, whatever, and then whatever. You listen, whatever. Oh. They're wrong about and then everything. I, and, then I, and then I say, like, why it's a bunch of garbage. And then I say, but I value your opinion. You know, oh, it's shit yeah. so you couch it in the nice slices of, of sugary lies. <laughs> so you put your, your passion or your anger underneath or between two loaves of bread. Not of, loaves. Of, have you ever no, made two a slices two of slices. bread. Yeah, two slices. Yeah, two slices. Each nice. have a loaf so, of bread so on each side. A little bit of anger is what you're saying in between. Yeah, you, you gotta you gotta like you gotta put your anger in between some niceties because mm. otherwise people people don't sword. people don't want to listen to you. Okay, great. You have I love to sheath the truth meat in <laughs> sugary lie bread. Mm. Um, I'm hungry. So, okay, uh, that's two questions. No, you that was three more. Two questions. And oh approximately my God. Uh, 15 seconds remaining on the clock. Do I have to answer clock. them in order? No, them in you order? don't have 15 seconds. You don't I, have to you answer have them in order. full seconds. Oh, no, I don't remember the third question. Okay, okay. So you, remember you don't the have to one. answer them in order. You do not okay, have to answer so them in order. Okay, so North or South Pole? Um, south Pole, because the North Pole is melting and there's still a pole to stand on in the South. Oh. And the third question was, okay, so there was that uh, misconceptions. Oh, the the thing that's rotting in my refrigerator, oldest. probably the oldest. Or it's most probably spoiled. it's probably an old jar of kimchi that I bought from the farmers market, yeah, which I've been. I got some yeah, of those. I, but those only get better, it. right? They don't get I, old. I don't think I, so. I think I there's a certain point where they they turn again. <laughs> it's starting to get like soggy looking, and I'm terrified to open it. So, and it shouldn't yeah. be fizzy. It shouldn't be yeah. too fizzy. Yeah, you want to get a little grossed out. My, the oldest <laughs> thing in my refrigerator is a friend's breast milk. That she I was storing. Even, I know I whose even, breast milk that is. Yeah. <laughs> I won't like say. I won't say on the record. Like I know who's uh, breast at this milk point, is. it's around three months old. Yeah. Oh no! Don't do that. Yeah, it's really bad. <laughs> um, we just have, have been have, too scared to throw it away. You have one more question. It is the shortest and simplest and most difficult question. Oh, uh, you just gave it to her. I didn't. I don't think I did. Oh, one more question. Lengthy thought. You still on the line, right, Ariel? Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm here. <laughs> I'm waiting. Remember, the clock is ticking. You know the question. I know the question. It was a final question. There's a final question. There's one final question that one you're missing. One final question. Of the five. Why? Yeah. yeah. Why? Or were you asking us why you're missing it? No. <laughs> no, that was the question. Yeah, was why? Why? Um, I I don't know because because I said so. That's what I say to my kids. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> okay. like that answer. I would have also taken Z. <laughs> or forty-two. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, forty-two. Absolutely. <laughs> Big Douglas Adams fan here. Yeah. That's uh, great. Um, so Barry, oh, did you get a point? I'm giving her a full 
Good old-fashioned point. Wow. Squeaky clean. Just so you know, Barry often finds a way to strip uh, players of I their points. I was searching for a way. I could not find one. So be, be, you should it be was... thrilled right now that you got a point from Barry. You're doing Scott. better than almost anyone's ever done it. <laughs> now, I, I, you, know what, you know what is really disappointing is I wish I knew I could have sworn because I would have been swearing throughout this entire this thing. You got a lot more podcasts ahead of you. You know, if you want to just loose. let out a string of them right now, we yeah. could edit them. We uh-huh. could pepper we them we'll throughout pepper the whole them show. We sound effects just throughout like, the entire episode. Like, what the fuck? This shit is, like, fucked up. Okay. Well, there's still more podcasts to to happen. I don't know. (laughs) This is great. I love this, Ariel. Um, Okay. You've got one point, and we're headed to round two. Lightning round, round two. Now, I will say, unlike Barry, I'm very friendly and generous with points. So if you don't get points from my round, you've really messed up. Okay. Okay. Shit. Just, okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, literally all you have to do is answer these five questions. Just, all you have to do is answer these five questions. Okay. That's it's super okay. easy. Right? It's without help. Here we and go. In 30 seconds. <laughs> all right. Lightning round. Round two. One, what's the coolest thing about being a part of the Athabasca Chippewan First Nation? Two, in your words, what does sovereignty mean in actionable terms when it comes to indigenous peoples? Three, breakfast, brunch, or breakfast for dinner? Four, if you could bring back one person from the dead just to punch them in the face once, who would it be? Five, are dinosaurs scarier with or without feathers? How much does it matter? Uh, Okay. Uh, Best thing about being a part of the Athabasca Chippewa and First Nation is my territory. The coolest thing. The coolest coolest thing. thing. The coolest thing is that it's so beautiful up there and it's so quiet and it's so calm and relaxing that it's like it's it's like going to a whole new world. It's beautiful. I love it. I love being up in my traditional territory. Um, the second question is what does sovereignty mean in an actionable way for, for our communities? Mm -hmm. I think sovereignty is not being beholden to colonial laws and rules and making our own self-determination on how we move and work in our own communities and with our own lands and resources and territories. So being able to, to determine our own fates and how we interact with our lands and territories and spaces. You're doing Great. excellent uh, so far. The, 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 the third, I always get lost on the third question. You don't have to go in order. <laughs> um, dinosaurs, scarier with or without feathers? I would say with feathers because sometimes birds can be really scary and I'm less afraid of lizards than I am birds. I completely agree. Um, I love this answer. A thousand so, percent agree. But there is a I, second part to There it. was a trap in there, but you got you, you, you stepped right the over trap. the trap. Yeah, right over the trap. The, I went over the trap. Yeah. So, um, and then the, the how much does it matter that how scary they are with or without feathers? I mean, I don't know if it really matters how much, if you're scared of an animal, you're scared of it. (laughs) It It's a question of whether or not his question mattered. I think is what he's asking. (laughs) And, um, the other two questions. Oh my God. Um, one of them, you got it. You got it. Coolest thing. Sovereignty. Dinosaurs. Brunch. Um, brunch. I, breakfast for dinner. Breakfast for dinner is because it's easy. Breakfast is like an easy meal to prepare. So breakfast for dinner is like, it's like cheating. I'm like, oh, we're going to have breakfast for dinner to my kids as if it's like some treat. But for me, it's just like I have way less work to do. Oh, so I, I totally totally never listen to this podcast. I've never agreed with these answers more with any <laughs> other guests. This is... <laughs> I don't know what the last question is. Now, one more. It involves it. someone. You're already, if oh, you let right. him finish this answer. I know, I know, I know, I know what it is. I would bring back Johnny McDonald, who was one of the forefathers of Canada and colonization. He had a lot of policies to like 
eradicate Indigenous peoples from Canada. And so I would definitely bring him back and punch him, not only in the face, but I would probably punch him in the testicles. Okay. <laughs> bonus. Bonus. <laughs> That's a bonus. That's great. I'm giving an extra half I point hope to the whatever this John A. McDonald is listening out there. <laughs> Because there is a woman some who extra very credit. much wants to punch you in the balls. <laughs> um, deservedly so, you bastard. Um, yes. uh, yeah, I loved all those answers. I did disagree with you about breakfast for dinner. I think dinner's You're incredible. Crazy. And I would never replace it with breakfast. You're crazy. I look forward to a savory, nuanced dinner every day. I'm taking a point but away from Lucas for that. How dare you? That's insane. <laughs> I'm going to take two points breakfast away Breakfast for dinner is the greatest thing. So my right. greatest memories involve but breakfast for dinner. I was going to say that while I disagree with your answer, your other answers were so compelling and quick that, that you, I think you, you sort of like hit it right at 27 seconds for all those answers. <laughs> uh, well within the, the established 30 second time frame. So I'm also going to give you a point. Hey! I thought that was great. Two and a half Woo! points. Three. Three, point, three, <laughs> three points. points. Remember, because you took a half a point away, but you gave her a half point back. That's clean, right. clean point. Three yeah. clean points. Three you are on, like I think winning. you're top. I'm killing this. You yeah, are killing really this. killing this. Uh, I'm going to leap into another segment really quick before uh, before, before, before everybody forgets a bit about your <laughs> momentum here. Uh, it is a... One of our favorite segments. Would, would you? Would you rather? Would you rather? Oh, yes, okay. I love so this now, Okay. With this Barry, it almost always involves uh, knees and elbows. No. Or uh, being, having a song or nope. a food of some kind. No. That doesn't involve <laughs> or any or of that. Pee. No. Okay. Here we go. So you, you, we just ask that you are honest. You could ask questions about these two scenarios, and then you pick one. And if it's the one we agree with, you'll we get a point. We expect questions. <laughs> okay. We so definitely we expect a lot. Simple. Of questions. Would you rather? Would you rather be only able to speak in loud yelling or nearly inaudible whispers? Oh, yelling. I feel like that's what I do anyway. <laughs> you can only speak in very, very loud yelling. Yeah. I would only speak in very loud yelling. 100%. Why? Why? Because I would not want to be inaudible. I feel like... <laughs> so... So you all know my name is Ariel Tsaekwe, mm -hmm. which in my language means Thunder Woman. It would just be inappropriate for me to only speak in audible whispers. It would be like against my namesake. Well, I got to say, you chose the right answer. I, I <laughs> Yes, I think so, too. <laughs> Lucas is, is dumbfounded by this. Uh, yeah, no, I just had a, a slight microphone issue in oh, the middle did. of this, would you rather? Oh. So I had to briefly try and figure I it out. I saw panic, and I was wondering what was happening. No, no, no. I was like, oh, am I not hearing myself? But then I, I can't tell if I'm hearing myself or not hearing myself right now. Can you guys hear me? I can hear you. I can hear Does you it too. sound like I'm speaking into Barry's microphone no. or a microphone close to my mouth? Close to your mouth. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, so that, so I that's hope, it. So, so you have four points. Well. <laughs> I'm you didn't hear any I'm of that. I'm bummed I missed it. I love the would you uh, It was okay. It was good? Yeah. It was, I'll, it was, it I'll was take your word for it. I guess. Uh, she chose well? Yes. Okay, great. Um, I expected as much at this point. So I have a quick question to get quickly back into cap and trade because, uh, well, first yeah. of all, um, great uh, debate with uh, was Peter Miller, correct? Of the NRDC, mm -hmm. the National Resource yep. Defense uh, Council, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys hate each other in real life or... No, actually, okay, you know, after after that is this debate, this going to be a shit I, sandwich. 
No, <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. Him and I went for went for early morning breakfast because Democracy Now records stupid early. Um, but we went and had breakfast afterwards, which I would say was not like great. But it was he he wanted to disagree with me, and I said I'm never going to agree with you. And he was just like, "Well, I'm not going to agree with you." And I'm like, "Well, I'm glad that you don't care about the planet." You know, I'm. It was fine, but we, were, we, we don't hate each other. <laughs> well, maybe for our listeners, if you could briefly sum up, what why would he be in favor of cap and trade? He feels that in order for us to effectively get anywhere on addressing the climate crisis, we have to have. Uh, economic models and persuasions to do that. And cap and trade sets a market trend to move away from fossil fuels. To work within but capitalism. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah it's, work it's, within capitalism. It's this notion that capitalism is some sort of an inescapable uh, fact yes. of human existence and that yeah. everything has to be negotiated within its sort of constructs. It, um, absolutely. And so, frustrating. yeah, so he, he's supportive of this idea of finding capitalistic uh, economic models to address the climate crisis, whereas I'm a person that believes in human rights, you know, nature-based solutions. And so we very diverge on how we're going to address the crisis. But moreover, you know, cap and trade systems give companies the ability, if they have the money, um, if they have the capability to, to continue to pollute no matter what. And, and that pro- is a huge problem. The biggest, I mean, I, I, the, the biggest flaw in it that you sort of see immediately uh, is that the only people who are the, the entities that are capable of purchasing these sort of permits to pollute are exactly the entities that can do it on the largest scale. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Because the cost is so uh, It's like the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. Yeah, like the, the only people tax. who can afford to pay the luxury tax are the ones who really, really, really shouldn't be doing it. it it's just like a totally backwards ideology. It's like, oh, we, we've really fucked up the planet and the same people that fucked up the planet are like, and we care, so we're just going to pay to continue yeah. to fuck up the planet yeah. And then it'll be okay. You can you can use that money to 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 do other things to make you know, I don't know, to put up solar panels in other places. But frankly, we're not going to change our ways. But we'll just give you money it's, so that it's we like can being like, like no, no, no. We're only letting the people who have massive amounts of money do polluting. Yeah, Calm down. the polluting is different because it's <laughs> paid for. It's sort of like if a guy was a guy used to get like punched in the face. For nothing, mm. and then you're, someone you're, was like, you're sitting I'm gonna, next to him. "I'm going to keep punching you in the face, but I'll give you a dollar every time I do it." <laughs> that's, that's a great analogy. You know? But it's even it's even worse than that because with carbon trading, it's not just about paying to pollute. Because now these companies are like, "Oh, all of these indigenous peoples have all this rich biodiversity." Because of, a fact is is that eighty percent of the world's biodiversity, which is carbon sinks. Um, exists within indigenous territories, recognized indigenous territories. So now these companies are like, oh, all those native folks that we tried to like commit genocide against hold all of these carbon sinks and we need to own them so that we can say that we are the owners of those carbon sinks and then say that that's how we're going to pay for continuing to pollute. Uh. So now these companies are trying to buy or, or lease out indigenous territories so it's now another like land grab and they're saying things to indigenous communities in the amazon right now where there's a lot of push to do this we're going to pay you to just be as you are 
But then the companies come in and suddenly they're putting up fences and they're telling them, no, you can't harvest those trees. No, you can't harvest those animals. We're going to plant more trees and we're going to put more species in here and you can't use any of them because we need the biodiversity to get richer and you're going to not make it richer. And so now communities are being told that they can't live like they always have in this biodiversity when the first agreements were sort of sort of brokered with this idea we just want to pay you to be indigenous and mm -hmm. it's all just a lie but it's so also now, like once again the the place where everything has to be negotiated is through the property or or through the the communal uh assets of indigenous yeah. people like once again it's not that white people have to make any compromises or negotiations on their sort of land and territory or modify their behavior at all is that it has to be done at the expense and uh, cultural and life cost of indigenous peoples. Yeah, I mean, it, it's creating a, an offset scam. Uh, like it's laundering carbon. <laughs> we're like they're laundering their carbon emissions. They're like, look, we're going to put our we're going to put our carbon through this forest over here, and this already most... existed and has nothing <laughs> to do with your business. Yeah, and it, the the most the most like the greatest hypocrisy of the whole thing is that we're talking about companies like Chevron that have projects in the tar sands buying carbon F offsets in the Amazon rainforest. So they're, they're not even in the same hemispheres in some cases. Well, that's what they're moving towards. It hasn't quite happened that way, but they're looking to create global offset programs. Well, it's the and natural global... offshoot of globalism, right? From a exactly. Exactly. So now what, what's going to happen or what could happen if this happens at the level that they want to is that you're going to pit global north against the global south. So you're going to create development projects in the global north and you're going to buy the offsets in the global south. So you're going to, so the global south communities that are like, oh, we're going to pay you to be indigenous and keep your biodiversity. Um, and they're like, oh, great. We want our forests to be protected. We want our rights to be protected. And then, and we want to, you know, we, we like the money would be nice. And then the communities up north are like, well, we don't want these projects. And they're like, sorry, we've offset it down south. And then now the war is between the two indigenous tribes. Oh. And it, it's, it's, it reminds it's me a lot of how the Reconstruction war. South, exactly. uh, after, after the Civil War, how they would, uh, they would sort of divide the poor black farmers from the poor white farmers. That's exactly uh, it. Keep them from recognizing their sort of mutual needs. Um, is there so, anything else? I mean, this you, is a uh, tough question, but is there a way in any way within the system is, uh, that would work? Like, you know, put yourself, I know it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's tough because the system is broken inherently, but... If if you were in charge, you know, are there ways in the system that we could make change? Are there laws? Like, where do we start? Absolutely. I think, um, you know, David Suzuki, who is very well known in Canada as a um, you know, climate advocate, um, he did this presentation years ago where he really made a very, very valid point. In the time of the space age, when, you know, man wanted to get to the moon, we saw NASA be created. We saw massive amounts of resource and political and financial and human resources being allocated towards getting a man to the moon. And that was not a life or death situation. It was just like, we want to do this and we're mm -hmm. going to allocate all the things yeah, to this like thing muscles. that's completely like mundane. Yeah. And our, we, were, we were not in danger of all dying. And now we're in a time where we're all going to fucking die 
if we don't do something and they're like, well, I don't know. Like, do do we really want to allocate all of our resources towards that? That doesn't seem fair. You know, we have all these other things and there's people whose, whose economies have depended on these things, but economies have been shifted in times of crisis in the past in many times during world wars the entire countries shifted their economies to ensure that they had the protection and and the forces to to ensure the protection and security and livelihood of their states but we don't view climate change in that same vein but it is just as deadly if not more deadly than any world war we've ever experienced so I, I do think I do think that we could shift our economic models and resources and political power towards doing the right thing. But the problem is, is no one is willing to get uncomfortable like they did in the times of, you know, the space wars and the and the world wars when when we had to shift the everyday lives of our countries and our people in order to achieve these things. And we're not looking at climate change in the same way. So do I think it's possible within the systems? Absolutely, because there's precedent for that being done in an effective way. But we just don't have the political will to do it. It's so smart. Seeing it as a war, as entering wartime economy is, a, is it's so interesting because we don't see it as a war because, like you said, we don't see the bodies. We yep. need to see the bodies, and then we will maybe. Um, yeah, I, I, we're running a little bit low on time. We don't want to keep you here forever. We usually have two final things that we sort of throw at every guest. That was a really dark um, final word I had there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that why I'm scary. It was, a, I mean, you know, it's maybe it's Let's good to be scary. Bodies. You know, yeah, yeah. you got to see the bodies. Yeah. Oh, okay, Barry. It sounded like Gary Busey. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I've got bodies. <laughs> what? what? Uh, uh, sure, man. Um, so uh, uh, the first bit, I think, will probably be pretty easy for you. It's just to uh, identify or name a uh, cause or organization that you think would be worth our listeners' time and resources. Am I allowed to name my own? Of course. <laughs> yeah, and another one if you want, or just your yeah. own. Yeah, you can name anything um, you like. You know, Indigenous Climate Action, obviously we're doing some great things in Canada. There are other organizations in the U.S. like the Indigenous Environmental Network and Honor the Earth that are also promoting Indigenous uh, people as leaders within the environmental and climate justice movement. And it's those folks that have really paved the way forward for the younger generations like mine to be able to do this work. Okay, great. Um, and then the final question. This is the final one. This is the uh, which one. we ask all of our guests to give us a reason to be hopeful. Yeah, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, the bodies. Um, I think that... The bodies. (laughs) To be hopeful. I think that in the same vein of David Suzuki is that we have been able to do this before. And we have the knowledge, we have the capability, and we can do this, and we will do this, because we have no choice. And so in that vein, though, we have such beauty in humanity, and we continue to evolve and move through this world in such beautiful and wonderful and tragic ways simultaneously. And that's the beauty of humanity is that we are all the things at all the time. And we are going to be able to get through this because we have to. And so I have so much hope that we will be able to finally see the light. We will reconcile our relationships with Mother Earth. We will understand who we are and where we're supposed to be in our role in these in these cycles and the symbiosis of this planet because we have no other choice. Wow. Wow. Unbelievable. That was great. 
That Ariel, was... you should be president yeah. of something. Can you be executive president? <laughs> president of, of everything? Of everything. Yeah, yeah. I'll um, be president of something. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you uh, so much. Yeah, this, really appreciate it. You're you're yeah. the best. Thank you. Oh, and, thanks, stay... and thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. Gotta have something.